0: Because the reason African parents don't want you to go into creative industry is they're like, where's the money going to come from? How will you eat? How will you pay your bills? Where will you live?
1: How then does one find a community that can help them grow into successful creatives and break this common narrative of, oh, you can't make money as a creative? Sika Africa is about being hard. This platform recognizes the talent of Africa's most creative individuals. It's a meeting point where Africa's creatives can connect, find work, increase their visibility and upskill. We had candid conversations with Samantha Weyer, the founder and CEO of Sika Africa. We delve into her background studying cultural science, to the ups and downs of building and sustaining a community full of varied talent. We get into tips of what to do and not to do when getting into your professional creation. Samantha also shares how she keeps her mental health in check by surrounding herself with friends and family who support her and also by exercising. And we're looking forward to a backflip sometime, um, perhaps the end of this year, Samantha. (laughs) Welcome everyone. This is a uh, Africa Design podcast. I'm
0: Um, But basically, I think from an early age, I realized kind of the power the arts had given me. I was blessed to have those African parents who supported my creative, <laughs> my creative side. In fact, my mom even gave me the option to be part of like um, LSE doing actual to move to drama school. So like they were really supportive of me doing the creative arts, and so I really wanted to empower other people who didn't have the same experience and especially people who didn't have access to platforms to tell their stories but then i realized i didn't want to do it in a non-profit setting because i felt like sometimes you spend so much time chasing donor money that you know you don't get to like do the work you're trying to do and so i said okay what for profit business can you create that kind of hits kills two birds with one stone that's kind of allowing africans to decolonize the narrative around African stories, but is also giving creators the infrastructure they need to build sustainable creative careers, right? Because the reason African plans don't want you to go into creative industry is are like, where's the money going to come from? How will you eat? How will you pay your bills? Where will you live? But, you know, that's just a lack of there being enough industry to allow you to build what is a sustainable business. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of the the genesis around SkiCan. For me, it's, it's around the two concepts, right? So the infrastructure side, but also around the storytelling and African storytelling and African artists taking ownership of African
2: And we really want to go into this because it's really important. You're one of the fortunate creatives. I was too, I think, encouraged by my yeah. family to do what we love. But yeah. so many people within the community actually come come to the community because uh, they say that they they want to show their parents that it's a worthwhile pur- pursuit. You know, I wanna yeah. I wanna show them that I can make money, right? As yeah. a creative. Yeah. So, uh, what are you doing as a as a platform actually to encourage that?
0: Yeah. So how I like to think about it, it's like um, centralized business management is where we're trying to get to. So we want to give creatives access to all the like tools, the information, and the community that they need to build sustainable careers. Because right now, a lot of what's happening in the market, it's like, I have some friends who are creatives. We co-do products, but we could do you know, solutions. For making a film, I call my acting friends. I'm like, guys, I need you to do me a solid. <laughs> you know, We don't have production budget, but let's get on this. Let's make some magic happen. Same things happen in the music industry. Same thing happens in the art industry where people are just, it's creatives relying on creatives, but we wanna give people, there's some people who don't have access to that community. So the first element is we're looking at how can you get connected and plugged into creative community that can help you build and create the art that you want. Um, Then the next thing is obviously connecting you to job markets. Now, We what's unfortunate, I guess, in, in Kenya specifically, I think the likes of Nigeria and Ghana and South Africa have kind of broken away from this mentality, but our market doesn't value our talent. Um, and this is not just in creative industry. This is, I think, across the board. They're like, they'll value foreign talent before they value talent here um and there's crazy stats around royalties paid out to international artists versus kenyan artists and things like that but when we want you to access the job market as well not just locally but across the continent as well because we've seen cross collaboration across the continent happening more and more um you know even like on Karun's ep when she you know she was collaborating in Botswana you know so we want to be able to create this kind of cross collaboration and cross and job opportunities across the continent and then when it comes to like tools and where we're headed so aside from like portfolio management and making sure people are properly curating their portfolios because people don't learn that and people don't have the skill sets around that I've, I've talked to artists who come out of art school in Kenya or you know university programs that do art and they're like but I don't have a portfolio I'm like how how is this not like the first thing? They were like before you graduate, even before you get your degree, you need a portfolio. Um, so portfolio management, and you know some of the things we're looking at in the future is how can your fans support you? How can your you know how can you learn about building sustainable business in the market, and then how can you access the people that you need around you? You know whether it's your legal support, your branding consulting, and you know your mental health experts who can help you because we're always in our field, so we ne- we need that support. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so that's what we're looking at. How do we give you all the tools, the information?
1: But would you say you're dealing uh, more with creatives who have undergone like some formal training or not? And is there a difference when dealing with? Is there like a different approach?
0: That that's a great question. So no, we're not specific to people who have gone through um, training. I mean, I've worked with artists who've had who self trained, really, and uh, equally as talented as people you know who've gone through formal training or even more. No, so it's not specific to that. The difference, I think, will be maybe on the e-learning solutions when we do get to starting to build our e-learning content and how that is positioned for the people who have had traditional um, training versus those who haven't had access to that. I think that will vary. Um, but in the at the moment, when it comes to kind of the primary features which we've released in terms of connecting and collaborating and you know portfolio management, that's not that's it, there'll be no difference in that setting.
2: So how, as a platform then, are you, uh, first of all, understanding the markets because you, you are catering to creatives, but you also are trying to pull in business for them, right? So yeah. that, how, how are you approaching that? And then And then equally, I think maybe it extends to like a, a question of features, which features are you implementing right now versus holding off on some things?
0: okay um so how we're approaching the two kind of sides of the market so our central client is the creatives right so we want to believe we're the kind of space where whether corporates come and hire you you'll survive as an ecosystem of creatives um and we want to make sure that that's possible so that you can still get business management as creatives at the core of you know the business and we can still equip you and you can still be edified in that environment. So our creators are our first customer. We call the others our our secondary customers, yeah, because I think what happens in the market as well is um, corporations say when they're hiring talent feel like they have too much choice or if there is specific talent they're trying to look for, they'll just go to them directly, right? But when it comes to up and coming artists, they feel like they have too much choice. That's why they're willing to pay them an exposure. And so we don't want that to necessarily be the narrative, that be the driving force and the only reason creatives can work, right? We want to make sure that we can build a movement amongst creatives themselves and create kind of a unity in the industry that pulls, <laughs> that then pulls in the work as well, right? Yeah, so that now when when any X number of, X corporation comes and says, I want to hire this artist and I'll pay you an exposure, they're like, actually, I've learned how to value myself better because I've been hanging around these creatives and we know what we're worth. So I think that's that's the approach, is that primary, our primary our primary customer our creators. The rest of them, we'll pull them in, we'll try and create some, some competition amongst them um, and try and make the experience of hiring creatives easier, but they're not necessarily our focus. It's not, <laughs> it's the, our focus is how to build the industry. And then your second question was...
2: Features. Yeah, how are you now features. prioritizing
0: features? Yeah. So our priority of features against with the same ethos. So our first thing is around community building. Um, you being able to collaborate on work, you being able to like put together your own portfolio and connect with other creatives. That's what there right now. And what we're working on at the moment, which should be out in, within the next you know eight weeks, is. Which so it's our jobs and booking features are what we're looking at now. Guys, people are so talented on this
2: continent, it's, it's a beautiful platform. Like everything from the identity, the logo, the typography, uh, all the artwork, the way it's presented, really, like well done. To really, the, really the team. beautiful.
1: I love the mask actually. The mask theme is something yeah. like well, where where did that inspiration come from?
0: yeah 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 great so we have actually an amazing designer called zach Adel who worked with us on the branding and even just on the this initial design of the platform and he is super talented so i told him what we're thinking i told him the thing around boys and one of the things i first did when i moved back after graduating was i spent time building a network of creatives and building a focus group of artists that could help feed into how we were kind of co-creating the solution so you know some he, he sent his initial you know sketches and what his initial thoughts were i had my ideas but i was like okay let's tap into our creative community what vibes with them more and this mask image for me was like it could, it could become a central theme around a movement, around how we're taking ownership of African narratives and kind of decolonizing that and moving away from the so-called single story, you know, with a fly on the eye, as my friend likes to say, <laughs> that, you know, a lot of Western media might be obsessed with and the Masai Mara <laughs> to like us being more complex and beyond that, right? Yeah, so, I mean, so this really came out from Adal or credit like credit to him in terms of creative direction and was just fed into it, you know, From the other, the rest of our kind of creative community that we've been working with to co-sign what we're building here. So yeah, that's that's the onus, and it it speaks a lot to the element of us trying to be about African creators being heard.
2: (laughs) Awesome. So, so what what are your priorities now then as a platform?
0: So our priorities are getting funding. (laughs) So actually, we're in the process. That's where we're at. So we're trying to um, make sure that we can get funding within the next few months that we can. Get the right team around, um, not just building. I building the tech side, but also our talent management, making sure creators are appropriately taken care of, and you know their needs are being met in the right way. And so yeah, so those are kind of our main priorities: would be funding, and then getting the right people on the team to help us kind of move into the next phase um, as we release that. And then obviously the next couple of features, which is around jobs and working and reviews.
2: So you mentioned that initially you're building that core of creatives, which is really great to hear, right? And we all need to collaborate and work together. And you also, I heard heard you say somewhere that you kind of focus on education, tech and mobilization of people. So how do those three kind of pillars for you fit into your plans?
0: Yeah, that's another great question. So um, so yeah, so I like to view, You're rightly said, I like to view my career as like building solutions using education, technology and mobilization for people to create sustainable solutions that help people deal with their everyday risks. That's, that's how I don't view it like I'm an actuary or I'm doing this. So I'm trying to be like, how am I building solutions with these three factors in this way? And how they feed into Speaker. So tech, you know, there's obviously a the tech platform, more scalable, gives people access, which for us is important, allows people to get visibility who wouldn't otherwise get visibility. From the education point, as I told you, the onset was I wanted to build a new art school for kids, you know, in marginalized communities. And then this is kind of where <laughs> it has come. I mean, that is still a big part of the vision in the kind of medium to long term. And education for the creatives on the platform is also central to what we're trying to do. But not just like your skillshare type of education, which I think is important in terms of upskilling on your skill, but like your business management education, your financial education, you know, things that help you survive beyond having the talent, right? Things that allow you to make money and survive off of your talent is the education and then mobilization. I think go further together. That's something I fully believe in, fully live by. I'm always trying to build teams that are better than me at anything around me. I'm like, I need people who are smarter than me all the time. Those are the, only, the people I'm trying to put around a solution. And yeah, and just allowing and shifting this mindset of like solo-driven success to like more you know, collaborative success. I know people get burned and have gotten burned in collaborations. People are distrustful and things like that. But I think we we can shift. We can evolve in our emotional intelligence. We can We can do better and have a more kind of communal thing, which is actually really in our origins. Our origins are more community-focused success than they are singular success, so Mm -hmm. yeah. What
1: are some, I, I feel like maybe from your process, there's been like an organic growth of ideas, organic growth of implementation of different elements. What are some things you've iterated over the course of creating this platform? What are some things that have changed
0: with time? things that have changed is that I've got more patience than I ever thought I would have. I've been trying to release this platform for time. So when I first had the idea, it was like in 2016. I was like, I hadn't graduated, you know, when I first scoped it. And then I went to my friend and he's a developer and I was like, will you be my CTO? I'll pay you in ownership. I don't have Okay. But I mean, the realities of not having access to capital and the the the, the funding structures for startups here in terms of you know people want to see something, some kind of proof cool of concept. I was like, I don't have money. I also graduated and moved out of my parents' home. I was like, I need a job. <laughs> I need cash. <laughs> Um, so I think I learned a lot more patience. I learned that people used to say it and I used to be like, yeah, I understand that. But I was like, my, this concept is so well built out. I came, I built my focus group. I was like, I understand how the industry, what the challenges they're facing. I'm like, this should be quick, you know? Hiring developers was a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> so yes, I, I've said I have my CTO who's my co-founder, but we needed um, a developing team. I think we stayed with our initial team for too long little results so you know I think making decisions a bit faster around getting the right team on board is important and yeah I think I've learned how about recruiting. I've learned that actually running a company, the hardest job is people. (laughs) hardest job is people (laughs) in terms of how to get the right talent, how to retain the right talent. (laughs) That's the hardest job. (laughs) The rest are details. (laughs) So yeah, so I think that for me has been the hardest business. And I think we're trying to be slow as a team in terms of how do we get the right team on board? How do we share ideas at the right time? I think that's another mistake I probably made earlier, was sharing too much too early with people too soon before I had anything, had anything had materialized far enough.
2: How do you balance that excitement then? Because we all as creatives really want to share things and you know, we, we've just put out the Eat, Design, Repeat uh, community <laughs> recently as well. And it's kind of for us as well in beta, right? we're just testing and learning learning from everyone and seeing what that becomes as well so how how do you temper that excitement and balance showing your ideas to people or explaining your ideas and knowing when yeah. they're ready
0: i think there's a lot of wisdom attached to it so you have your core group of people who i feel are, like should play an important role as sounding boards and hopefully they have different ways of thinking to you it helps to have people who are not so feelings-led in, around you can be those sounding ones, right? Because they won't take your feelings running. <laughs> They'll help you slow down and like check some facts, get into the details of it. I think that's something like now our CEO really brought to the team and so you know he's also came on as a co-founder like two years back now and that's what he brings he's like slow down let's think about the next step <laughs> let's not jump 10 years ahead to you know when we're producing films you know let's let's focus on now okay let's focus on getting the next 10 followers you know so I think it really helps to have those people who are a little a little more thinking focused a little more logical in their process of like, feeling led I think a lot of creators tend to be very Feelings then, um, and they can help you slow down. And so creating your kind of core group of people who you can come to as your sounding board and remembering it's important to kind of protect that and protect the development of that in the process to even just keep the idea sacred.
2: You're also doing that with the community or not scaling too much, you're trying to cater to the people on there, right?
0: So yeah, so trying to make sure that you're managing how you're advertising. So we did, you know, so when we released, we're like, okay, let's slow down, get the best people on board, get their feedback. So we're actually working on a couple of redesigns as well from a functionality point um, as we kind of look to release the working the jobs features. Before you go, you know, like um, my my parents were like, why haven't you told us what to post yet? Because, you know, on Facebook, we'll get like 200 people coming to your platform. I was like, that's not what I need right now. <laughs> I don't need 200 people to come today. Um, they're, they're micro-influencers on Facebook. <laughs> so I was just like, no, 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 no. Take it slow. Don't get too excited. Use use the right networks at the right time, so you can do it justice to the people who most benefit from the solution.
2: You, your knowledge as an actuarial scientist—it's really interesting to have someone in the creative space who's an actuarial an analyst. Sorry, right? You're an actuarial analyst. First of all, maybe you know I, I've heard a lot of people say. Actor uh, when they hear actua- actuary.
0: Oh yeah, um, I've had that.
2: <laughs> so maybe let's clarify what what you do and what the <laughs> industry is, and then how maybe how can creatives learn from actuarial side. Uh, that's
0: a, that's a good question. So actually, I, I've actually had that. I've had people think I've said I'm I, I'm practicing and they're like, oh, you're an actress. And I'm like, no, but actually that was my other, that was my other career path. <laughs> that was my so alternative my <laughs> was to go that direction. <laughs> so two in one, kind of. I think one thing I've learned from the actual profession that I think has kind of translated is more in terms of how you kind of price and understand different risks, which I think is not something you'd necessarily think about as a creative, but I've actually been really thinking around financial security solutions for creatives and how that can be incorporated more. Creatives don't understand the value of like a lot of things they have and how to secure that, right? So whether it's insurance around your property, like your lenses, you know, if you're a photographer, even how can we move to giving more security around intellectual property for artists, right? We only look at it from a legal point, but how can we do it from a financial point? These are things I've been thinking about. I think. Creative industry doesn't leverage enough of financial security solutions, or vice versa, financial security pro- solution providers don't think enough about creative industry. And creative industry is a big part of the market and can really benefit from these kinds of things. Or even how the fact that a lot of creative industries is already community focused, and how can those communities, you know, people are always working in little, you know, collaboration groups. How can those communities take care of each other financially in certain seasons and kind of, self-insure and things like that so I think there's a lot around risks and mitigating your risks that creatives could learn from actuaries but even just I guess now from uh, working in the corporate space I think there's a lot of learnt around business management that creatives can learn from just general business management and when having this conversation with creatives about how like I think going back to your thing about people who've been trained from you know formally versus those who've been trained informally I think it's even more valuable to be trained informally, but get a business degree, you know, as a creative, than it is to go to school for art per se, right? I think the business degree in terms of you building a career, because you already have the skill as a, as a creative, right? It's honing that and developing that, that you'll get from school, but you might not have the business mindset a business degree would actually bring to you to your career.
2: How do you present the value of creative to the business people?
0: the how oh yeah you know I find myself I'm an actuary who in our business does things around branding right because everyone's like actors and people are not creative actually I'm like I'm, I'm grateful that I had access to creative um you know creative things and creative community that you know, have brought this out to me but I think I do it a lot in the product design side and so when we're thinking around products when I think about around user experience user interface I'm big on that trying to push the company think more human-centered design when I'm giving talks <laughs> I did a presentation for our actual convention around human-centered design and you know caring about that which for me is very much an innovation that's come from creative community and been birthed from creative community and yeah so I think I just push for a lot of the things that we're doing for us to think outside the box and even just we have so I'll give specific to like say the insurance industry there's been an issue around copycat design that's how our insurance model. Right. So someone does one thing, another company will go and take the same thing and repackage it, <laughs> call it a different name, you know, and, you know, just put some glitz and glam around it. But it's the same product, the same solution that's not going to work for the market. And so I've, I've really been pushing and having conversations around how could we think outside the box in terms of how we're creating solutions and create solutions that are not just adopted from say other markets or other insurers, but take solutions that are designed for the context within which we. Which I think is a a creative concept, right? How do you create what doesn't exist and you know present it for the solution that is clearly there?
2: I'm really interested in insurance. I think it's super valuable. It's insurance doesn't give you any value until you need it. (laughs)
0: It's true. It's true. That's true.
2: Yeah, you know, and I, I highly recommend for creatives if you have a camera or something. If it's the center of your business to ensure it at least yeah. yeah have you seen any interesting solutions well you said maybe not not enough innovation in that space right not
0: enough you? but personally i'm working on something. so hopefully in the next year or so year or two years we can be talking <laughs> differently so, so personally i'm pushing for certain things so hopefully we can see things emerge a bit different and i think there's a lot of tech forward um and progressive-minded insured tech companies that have come into the market um, that are working to build solutions and i think things will start to pop up in the next you know couple of years things will start to pop up and really the people the traditional insurers will be shocked because <laughs> they'll be like where have you come from but yeah i think things will start to pop up. yeah I, I think from my perspective i'd like to know
1: you being like a female entrepreneur um you know an african female entrepreneur in a in a business that's not really that even pushed, you know? What are some things that you would tell to other women who are coming into the industry and what do they need to learn? And what are some things that could change perhaps
0: for the future? So the first thing I'd say is you need to get some allies, get good allies, male and female allies. So females who have bust through the doors and knocked down, knocked down those glass ceilings, and also men who are great allies to women right? Who can recognize, who will not mansplain and who will will pull your seat, you know? I think get get yourself some allies of people who care to invest in you. The other thing I will say is actually sometimes just carry the chair, put it at the table, sit, you know? It's like, don't think so much about how you'll come across per se. Sometimes just get yourself through the door, just as, as possible as it may be. You know, network is your net worth, they say. So, you know, also that is That is another thing that I would add, like make sure that you're putting yourself in the right spaces. But even beyond that, I think as friends of people, if you know someone is trying to do something as an entrepreneur, put their name in a room that they're not in, you know, make sure that people know that if you walk into a space and you're like, you know who I feel could benefit from this space is so-and-so. Say their names in that space and elevate the people around you and community around you. And, and and have audacity. Women, you know, really men really walk around with audacity. Have some audacity. Know you're it. <laughs> you know, we talk about imposter syndrome a lot as women. I'm like, actually, know no, you're about it. There's that stat, and I think I said this recently. I was talking to my friend on Vibes Radio. Women will only raise their hand up if they're 80% competent. Men will raise their hands up if they're 20% competent. So um, but <laughs> don't cancel me, please. <laughs> um, but yes, that's generally how things work. And so you, so I would just say, have audacity, raise your hand. If you think you might know, don't be pre embarrassed about the fact that you might not know. If you don't know, it's okay, it's okay not, not to know. And it's okay to get something wrong fail face forward and then get back up and try again.
2: You got a story of either an example of what you just said or uh, where someone's actually helped you up and put you into a room or a space.
0: Yeah, so I think um, I'm surrounded by friends who do this. So recently, even last week, I was on Vibes Radio. (laughs) My girl Susan, (laughs) Sura she was like, oh, I'll come through. This is something, you know, a space. I think we can have a bit of discussion. And it's just that consciousness, right, around being like, look, I know women who are doing amazing things and let me pull them into this space. And just likewise on the, on the male side, I think I've had the privilege of having like, say, I have both my business partners are guys and I've had male bosses who have allowed me to be in a room, have given me credit where credit is due, which is sometimes a surprising thing. <laughs> You're like, ah. Oh great and even you know I've had a female boss who's been the same way who would be like actually this opportunity is more for you than it is for me and I'd be like wow that's so much humility <laughs> I'm like you know you never hear these things um so I think I've, I've had that blessing and I've learned from that in how in kind of importance of being intentional about bringing people into certain spaces so yeah and then in terms of kind of failing face forward I think I when I first came I didn't really know creative community so I'd been in school in the UK for six years so part of the reason I decided I want to graduate and move back is like I wanted to connect with the community before I started building a solution that was not solving anyone's problem so (laughs) I used to go to events. I didn't really know people. I used to go to events and just be like, hi, guys, my name's Samantha. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I don't know one. I'll just be like, hi. <laughs> I think might my best solution that works for you guys. Do you think so too? Um, and it was so painful and the first focus group I ever held, no one showed up. <laughs> so, it was like, it was like, because I was an open community member at Power254, because they used to do like this open number, you can come, use the desk and work from whatever you're working, use their spaces. So like, I sent out some stuff, I was like, guys, let's have a focus group of creators. The time came, 10 minutes passed, thirty minutes passed, an hour passed, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this has been uneventful. <laughs> Um, And then I sat and talked to one of the artists, Chowak Chela, who's like super talented. And so I sat and chatted with her because she was sitting and doing some sketches. I was like, what problems do you have as an artist? I was like, if we will have a focus group of one, we will have a focus group of one. But then I guess I learned how to restructure those kinds of events, make sure that more people came. But starting with, like, all oh, your friends and family must attend. <laughs> <laughs> and then they must all share and say that we are attending. That's how you start. Please <laughs> <I learn something>, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> uh, it's so good. I can relate with your process. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. exactly. So, so like the trading Being like facing all these challenges and being able to overcome them, all this pressure, I can imagine people are expecting to deliver how do you deal you know when you know okay i need to calm down a bit how do you deal with your mental health
0: for me you'll hear me say this like a thousand times a day it's like community is a big part of me kind of having structures around my mental health i have the most supportive brothers and sisters shout out bks um if you know you know um so they they are super supportive. They're always sewing into me. Even if I fail, they're like, you succeeded, <laughs> you know? <laughs> even if I fail, they said, you su- you succeeded at sailing this, you'll get back up. Um, <laughs> um, and I think I'm really blessed to have that. And a group of friends who are equally the same, right? Who will be like, what, what, do, you, what do you even mean? Why are you even doubting yourself? And they'll always encouragement. me, and they're always supportive. Who will pick me up, they pick up my successes and not allow me to talk negatively to myself. So that is a core part of that and then i think i've learned how to be effective around boundaries not in like the (laughs) in the kind of buzzwordy way like genuinely i'm so i'm so um hopefully my people say the same thing i'm so on purpose about my boundaries which spaces i'm allowing myself in who i'm allowing to feed and so into my life i'm like if i don't want to be in a certain space i'm like i can't deal with this kind of conversation i'm not going to try and be there (laughs) and so yeah so being on purpose about that and and that comes from understanding yourself right I think one place I'm grateful that I managed to get to pretty early on is understanding what my strengths and weaknesses are and getting comfortable with my weaknesses as like, this is a part of where I'm like, I hate admin. Why am I trying to make myself an admin person? Let me hire someone who can do admin better than me. What what am I trying to prove? You know, I already have strengths. Let me run with my strengths. Um, And it's not like an excuse not to grow. In a way that's kind of like as a kind of a comfort in that you know it doesn't matter that I can't do X Y Z. That's not what my talents are. That's not what I'm about. You know, but it's not an excuse for you to then be like um, I know people say this to the girls too, like people being with like their horoscopes being an excuse not to grow and <laughs> being like I am just a so and so. Let me not pick on any specific horoscope. <laughs> I don't know anything about any of them. You know so it's like no 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 that's not an excuse for each treat people like trash you know <laughs> do better but like you know in a way that's like okay i'm not trying to convert weaknesses into stress but i'm trying to shine on my stress
2: uh, so what have, have you got any tips for creatives current tips because these these things always change right but as, from your experiences
0: um currently i think it's been a hard couple of Yes, really, we're going into year two really, of this COVID life, right? Um, especially with creative community, have really been hit in the last year and a half. With gig economy kind of taking a bit of a dive and things. I think there's, what I'd advise is just like, I don't know, what as, as an authority, I don't know what authority I have to advise. But <laughs> from my personal opinion, there's something to be said about, you know, just trying to understand yourself and why you do what you do is important is such a core part of driving you through those seasons that are so impossible. I had an incredible conversation with Mugambi, um, who's an actor, last year, talking about that and talking about how you know he was redefining success in terms of what does success look like for him post-COVID versus how it used to look pre-COVID. And I think as we kind of come out of this season, creators need to be really asking themselves what does success look like post-COVID, right? Has anything changed for how you view success before and after COVID? And, you know, how are you gonna take active steps towards achieving that version of success as opposed to falling back into habits? You know, humans are very fickle, we really forget. You know, you'll go through. we'll go through this, but let me tell you guys, in five years, we'll forget. <laughs> we'll forget we went through COVID and we'll live our lives the same way. All the lessons people learned, all the self-awareness people collected in the gutter. So how do you build structures now? to prepare yourself not to let go of all the kind of lessons I think that have come out of the season. And it's a a pre-preparation thing because you'll go back, the cloud will come back, the culture will come back (laughs) and you'll get back into old habits. But how do you make sure that you're building structures now to allow you to kind of move and grow in the direction that you've learned about, you know, through the season?
2: What has it taught you?
0: So what's success for me?
2: Well, as, well I, first of all, I wanted to ask what was, well, has COVID taught you? Well, has oh, what has COVID taught you? What do you want uh, to forget? The lessons you don't want to forget from the pandemic.
0: The lessons I don't want to forget from the pandemic is that I know people used to say this, but like, guys, invest in the people around you that, you know, are building you up. (laughs) Invest in them, you know, invest time, invest at least your time in them, not just your money, you know. Invest your time building each other up, understanding what challenges you're facing, understanding how can help each other move forward because there's great power and strength in that. I think that's probably my relationships are the one thing that prospered extremely in COVID um, because of how we were able to bond and connect beyond just the life of just being on the outside you know you call it the life on the outside I think that's the one important thing that I've learned is how it doesn't matter what crisis work brings to you or what like opportunities work brings you kind of bring it back hone it back and remember that these people and get them to hold you accountable for it as well right um, the standards and things that you've set for yourself um, when it comes to sewing into that community. I think that's. Really- I told you I'll say a community like a thousand times because like- yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Community is like at the center of everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I say. What are some movies you've watched lately, or some hobbies you have? Oh, hobbies,
0: movies, maybe series. I watched Lupin recently, the the French series on Netflix. I hadn't watched that. <laughs> Which is good. Book, I'm reading per, my personal MBA, which is an interesting read because I've been thinking about going to grad school. And that is basically saying grad school makes no sense. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I know that in theory. <laughs> I think the reason I'm trying to go to grad school is trying to be like, people that still good value money or do something. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's the book that I'm reading. And hobbies that I have, I've been doing gymnastics with my little sisters. So my sisters are nine years old. Um, guys, I'm a grown-ass 27-year-old woman who has started to do cartwheels. <laughs> started. I haven't done them mm-hmm. since I was 10 years old. <laughs> I was like, I'm <laughs> <and> doing my backward bends, you know, trying to do backflips. Ah, it's been an adventure. It's been such a, it's been, okay, so, I never used to be the kind of person who could do something I absolutely crap at and to see the journey do. Like, so I'd be like, let me start with a basic level of talent and go from there. But I was, I am trash at gymnastics. Bad. <laughs> but I'm still pushing through and they really celebrate my really my small wins. And I'm like, oh, guys, thank you. So my mom gets a coach who comes on Sundays and we do an hour session. And it's so thrilling and I get so excited. I'm like, guys, look at me, I'm doing a flip. <laughs> the greatest hobby I've picked up this year. That's <laughs>
2: awesome. So you mentioned that like, uh, I watched your Zero Chills TV interview. And you yeah. mentioned that you're aiming for that backflip, so when should we expect the backflip?
0: Okay, back, we're looking at the end of the year, November. It's also wow, their okay. birthday. So it's my sister's birthday in November and we, we're meant to do like a routine. So that's that's the target. <laughs> the target is that want to do the routine. Maybe I'll do a back handspring as opposed to like a backflip in the air, but you know, we're trying for one of, one of the backwards things. <laughs> okay.
1: I think I'm going to be doing your training now.
0: <laughs> and, okay, personally, I found doing things backwards is a bit easier than doing things forwards because I feel like you don't see what's coming. <laughs> so you're just like, go. Whereas when you're going forward, you're like, the floor is here, though. I can see the ground. <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know what it says about me because people usually have the opposite kind of experience. <laughs>
2: yeah. For me, it would be, I think, opposite. I'd be more scared of a backflip than a forward flip.
0: <laughs> I don't know
1: you know I, I'm trying I'll try a cartwheel soon
0: <laughs> yeah yeah do it do it do it I really encourage it
2: <laughs> um so what uh from helping each other grow and build all the all the things that you're doing to do that and mobilizing people. What kind of knowledge can you pass on to other people who who want to do that as well?
0: I think firstly, remove yourself from the, being the center of the world. <laughs> like <laughs> that's the first <best> thing. Like. <laughs> where I think we live in a world that's pushing us to be self-focused. I mean, self-love is important, but not like in the way that you can become very egotistical and put yourself at the center of the universe. I think removing yourself from the center of the world, like taking your ego aside and being like, this is not about me, this is about someone else, I think is the first thing in being able to invest in someone else's growth. Because as long as you're thinking about yourself first, <laughs> then um, in that setting, then it's, it gets hard to. Properly invest in other people which i think is a bit countercultural in in a way um because the self-love narrative can become a very self-obsessed narrative <laughs> but yeah that's what i'd say
2: so how, how do you then ensure if you're putting yourself and your ego to the side how do you ensure that you're taking care of yourself as well yeah. yeah
0: i think it's a balance i think there's a wisdom in terms of who you're investing in um so you're not investing in just any old body you know there's a wisdom in terms of building the right kind of people around you that you know are gonna equally give you that kind of respect, right? And it's not easy. It's very much a benefit of the doubt thing because we are human beings at the end of the day. Some people will let you down at some point or another, but not because they're being malicious in a way, right? Because we're all dealing with our different baggage. We're all going through life, going through, have had its different experiences with different traumas. And I think even from a mental health point, giving people, and this, I guess, people tend to learn in a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. If you take yourself out of a situation, and try and look at it more objectively, you're able to give people a lot more grace. You're able to be like, actually, this is not, this was not about me. <laughs> this, this attack or whatever felt like it was a negative attack on my mental health was not actually about me. There's this other thing this person is going through. And again, that's not an excuse for people to treat people like trash, but I think it just, know makes your life less stressful to think that you know it's not actually about me someone was not attacking me because it's about me um (laughs) it was really they're dealing with their own traumas and have had their own stresses of the day that are feeding and being projected onto me at this time and setting up those kind of separations between what is kind of objective truth versus what is perceived truth is i think an important balance to maintain for you to be able to to balance kind of how do i protect my my peace versus how do i invest how do i put my ego aside
2: yeah, that's really true sometimes you might meet someone in the wrong situation and you'll get the wrong kind of uh impact where if you'd meet in another situation you'd be totally fine right whether it's yeah. at the traffic lights and you're beeping yeah. at each other
0: um so i mean for yourselves at Nairobi design week i mean we've talked about this i think where do you see yourselves kind of growing as a
2: community
0: as well. Mm. We to grow into each other, I guess. We're building collective infrastructure. <laughs>
2: exactly. And that's exactly. So something we do is every time we see someone doing something really amazing, we always try to support that, of course, because if people can be better than you at doing something, then you want to work with those experts, right? Yeah. Whether yeah. it's ticketing, API, or whether it's a way to have creatives collaborating and I'm really excited to talk as well further down like how are creatives going to be collaborating right in the coming years especially since this kind of digital transition that we've just been thrown into uh, has been sped up so much So Mm -hmm. what what we're really doing is trying to document the the industry much better as well, and trying to Mm -hmm. document that impact. But really, we're all about collaboration as well. You know, we call ourselves a community design studio because we take on projects and we're trying to create our own projects as well. So increasingly, we're trying to do those projects of our own and launch things. So an example of that might be Vision for Waste, which is kind of a, a few years in the making, but it's uh, hopefully coming to fruition in the ne- next six to 12 months, which is okay, cool. recycled plastic eyewear. And in fact, we oh, wow. have an example that's come from Spain. So
1: these,
2: so these are made out of recycled plastic. They've oh, come from God. Joss Barcelona, from Thayer oh, Steric. Wow. And they- That's problem. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, made fully out of recycled plastic, and oh. there's another pouch that comes with them as well here. That's
1: amazing. And
2: so what we really want to do is manufacture these in in Kenya. This involves open source uh, precious plastic machines. Yeah. Uh, so those are already in existence here, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And then bringing in the molds for these glasses. And then, first of all, that we, we have a partner, an eyewear partner called the Urban Tortoise, who bring in all sorts of frames into Kenya. But really this project started when they came to us and asked about, could we manufacture eyewear locally? This is kind of the path that we've chosen to go down so far. That's really cool. I really
0: love that. I really love that. And hopefully
2: that will encourage more people to manufacture their own products locally. It's not just from an eyewear perspective, because really this is more about providing eye care as well to the larger population, which is really in short supply. And then the plastic yeah. manufacturing ecosystem as well.
0: Oh, amazing! That's really dope. Really, I really, really like that. Let us know. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk offline. <laughs> Let's right. see. I think I see. I see. Now you're not gonna get rid of me. Like Michelle did a introduction um, <laughs> on LinkedIn, and now we're that like.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. Then. <laughs> uh Ira. Yeah. Ira. Yeah. Aruba, yeah. yeah for introducing us and yeah she she does amazing work as well yeah 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 before yeah yeah i don't know
1: if adrian has asked this question yet but what what do you think is the future of
0: the creative industry in Africa. Oh, wow, amazing. I think we're going to be so dominant. <laughs> I think I think we are going to be at the forefront of defining culture. And I think you can see that, right? You can see that in terms of how, I mean, and that has been the case. I think now the difference is we are at the roots of a lot of creation, of a lot of modern day media and entertainment and arts and culture. A lot of it is rooted from African roots. So as we continue to kind of dig deeper and understanding our roots around the arts and culture better, as we grow and take ownership, as we realize that we are valuable as artists, I think we're going to just become more better owners of setting trends and defining certain standards around culture and just owning our stories more. And I think in the creative industry, in the power of addressing narratives will help shift things like policy for me, which is a big thing about storytelling you know i feel like there are no better people shape narratives than creatives right that's why media is always under attack because <laughs> creatives can define can define everything from politics to like what shoes people are wearing you know um <laughs> and there's so much power in that i think so as there's more infrastructure and kind of more unity created around creative industry i think we'll see shifts beyond just creators being able to do them as full-time jobs, or like enough creators being able to do it as full-time jobs. Even how we're shifting policy and how we're kind of giving Africa a voice on a policy side, right? Um, because our our stories will just become more visible and more central to things. And you can, you can see that with, you know, the publishing houses are coming in, you know, you have Universal Studios, Sony, Netflix are in. <laughs> so we need to make sure that they're not setting the tone
2: I think, I think that's like a perfect, perfect ending. I just yeah. wanted to say that i just logged on to the Nation website, uh, nation.africa, you know, the last few days. Check out the new brand identity. The typography, the colors are incredible. Yeah. And it shows yeah. what creative can do for a brand.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amazing. We had a
1: synesthesia event today.
2: Yeah. Just
1: from me today, actually, the whole day. And oh. I've been able to meet amazing people through oh, the whole world beautiful amazing speakers so that's been a really highlight for our day today just being oh, wow. able to understand what is synesthesia which it is a neurological condition yeah 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 if you actually have synesthesia
0: oh, you have synesthesia
2: oh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so for those who don't know synesthesia is yeah, a neurological condition that means that your senses connect in different ways for me it's uh, I see letters, numbers and music in color and words and so different letters and so on connecting and forming different colors in my mind What's and so Samantha? Samantha's yellow always always Hi. been yellow like straight up yeah well it's got it's got like some oranges further down and green. so it's kind of like for me like I can see it from afar and then when I zoom in I can see more detail right
0: oh wow that's really well I'm
2: because every, that. every letter has a color and then when you combine those letters there may be like a dominant color uh, of one letter within that that yeah it's
0: really cool, yeah. amazing yeah that's really dope <laughs> life is colorful
2: yeah so ask ask your friends if they're synesthetic
0: yeah, I oh, I've never met a synesthete, but um, I've I've under, I've, under, I've been very fascinated by synesthesia for a time, right? It's like I learned about it from a TV show. Someone did probably a medical show you know i feel like maybe it was Grey's anatomy you know i feel like that's something they could have done so
2: where do people go to check out your work personally find you contact you and then skika africa
0: okay so you can follow our skika africa i'm very off the socials i'm trying i should probably build media brand now but (laughs) um so you can find us at uh, skika africa on instagram twitter facebook the easiest way to log on to the site if you're trying to set up a profile and build your portfolio on there is to probably go through the link on our instagram page um but it's beta.skikaafrica.com and we're reclaiming our languages so Africa africas with a k come on <laughs> come on somebody um, um so yeah so it's s-k-i-k-a-a-f-r-i-k-a and then you know for myself you can look for me as what's my Instagram handle? Sy93 <laughs> so <I had> <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> you can follow me. I, I like uh, that's why I hired someone to do social media. See, i try and um, make miss <laughs> this Um So you can find me on there. But you can also, if you reach us through the pages, I'm happy to. Connect. Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Samantha. Weil. Samantha, you thank yes. you, thank you, thank really, you so
2: really
0: much, guys. You. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, And thanks guys for listening to all my stories.